I think that's one of the strengths of the James, is the holistic care that we bring to the cancer patient. That we're gonna treat your cancer, and, and we're also gonna care for you. And I love the word, I say that we're care providers. Because I'm a surgeon, but really I'm a care provider. This is the James Cancer Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and my guest is Tim Pollack. Tim is an MD and a PhD, and he has a master's degree in public health. Tim is a surgical oncologist who specializes in liver and pancreas cancers, and Tim is also the chair of the Department of Surgery and the James Surgeon-in-Chief. We'll talk about Tim's background and how he got into medicine and surgery and oncology and also some of the amazing and fascinating advances in surgical oncology that are leading to better and better results for patients. Welcome to the podcast, Tim. Thanks so much, Steve. Really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. Well, I thought it'd be good for people to get to know you a little bit about your background. So where are you from? And tell us a little about how you got into science and medicine. Yeah, happy to share that with you. So I grew up um, outside Boston, about uh, 30 miles uh, north of Boston, a town called Lawrence, Massachusetts. Um, my folks still live in the area. They live in North Andover. Um, you know, neither of my parents went to college, you know, come from mm. a relatively blue collar family. My dad and my brother still are a used car salesman. My dad owns a car lot. My mom is my mom. So I think growing up, you know, I really saw firsthand, you know, having a father who owned his own business, you know, that kind of a hard work ethic and you get uh, out of life what you put into life. And, um, you know, a little bit different, uh, someone who perhaps didn't have a job, but really had a, a living, so to speak, because he owned his own business right. and he really poured himself into his own business. Did, did you wash a lot of cars? In uh, your youth? I cleared a lot of snow off of cars. Oh, okay. oh, I yeah. cleared a lot of snow off cars and I don't know anything about cars and really? I never really liked cars, you know, <laughs> and, um, you know, my dad actually went to college for a week and he hated yeah. it and, uh, he went back to the car business my mom always wanted to go to college, but because of her economic situation, never had the opportunity. And so um, I think from both my parents, I really learned uh, about uh, the ethic of hard work. Um, and then also don't take advantage of uh, opportunities because not everyone has opportunities. My mom wanted to go to college. She yeah. didn't have that opportunity. And both of them wanted to give that opportunity to me. So I was very lucky and blessed to um, have the opportunity to have some really uh, solid schooling, both in high school and then in college, which uh, uh, kind of inspired me to go into uh, medicine. But did you know at a younger age that you wanted to go to med school, or did that happen in college? I would say my interest really kind of um, um, uh, was cultivated in high school. You know, I really liked biology uh, when I took anatomy class as a senior um, in high school, um, I, I just was really drawn um, to um, biology, the body, um, and um, just thought that that'd be something I'd like to contribute. Um, obviously, uh, my parents also um, wished that um, that I would either be a, a doctor, a dentist, or I'm Catholic, or priest uh, was the number one thing, but a doctor would, would do. So um, there was some encouragement from my folks to look into um, you know the profession of medicine. Oh, and you, so you went to undergraduate at Georgetown, but where did you go to med school? Yeah, so I went to undergraduate at, at Georgetown in, in D.C. I was actually a double major there in theology and biology. Oh, so, oh, so you, to, to make your parents happy. Uh, no, I've had a longstanding interest, which we'll, <laughs> no, I guess, talk a little bit later, is that, 
you know, I think that, um, you know, I kind of am attracted to the very practical biology surgery, right? It's very practical, it's very technical. It's very much like, you know, helping people through, you know, touching them, removing tumors, you know, um, technical skills. But then I'm also very interested in, you know, larger issues, right? Because when people have cancer, as a surgeon, I deal with technical issues like trying to remove their tumor. But then there's a lot of other existential issues that face patients who have a diagnosis of cancer. And I'm really interested in all of that, that full continuum. So I think uh, my interest in that has spanned uh, decades. And very, very early on when I majored in theology and biology, it was kind of this idea of, you know, the um, theoretical structure within we work, within which we experience life, within which we experience health and disease appeal to me. And then the other side of that is a very practical aspect of how can I interact in that space to help people overcome their disease and become more healthy. So it's it's this kind of yin and yang about very practical, technical, but then also kind of being more theoretical, metaphysical, existential. That's pretty amazing that at that young age, as a 20, 21-year-old, you were already thinking of combining those two things which you would be doing for the rest of your career. That just sounds like to me like something that you don't learn until you're 30 or 40. Uh, well, I think, as I said, I think I was lucky in, in the family that I grew up with and, and, and the education, you know, I, I and, think. And, uh, but you, and you were a forward thinker. I, I uh, mean, you have to give yourself some credit for putting those that, that puzzle together, I think, is, yeah, is pretty I, amazing at that I, age. I think so, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm incredibly <laughs> lucky. I'm incredibly blessed, right? And again, getting back to certain opportunities that were afforded to me that many other people don't have a chance, right, to go to a, a place like Georgetown and be in that environment and um, have the opportunity to grow and to think. And and so I was very, very lucky. But then after Georgetown, I did, uh, I went back to Boston um, and went to um, uh, Tufts University for medical school. Um, and, um, during my time at Tufts, I also got, uh, an MPH, uh, master's in public health. And actually back when I was getting an MPH, it was a real MPH in the sense that I was studying, um, the food pyramid, you know, diarrhea, um, you know, global health. At that point, I had no aspirations of really being a surgeon. I was thinking about being a primary care, um, doctor actually spent two months living in Dominican Republic. Um, one summer where literally um, a, a pickup truck truck me and my uh, buddy off uh, in the mountains uh, near Haiti and then didn't come back for two months. And we lived out there, no, no electricity, no running water, um, and taught public health uh, to the surrounding neighborhoods. And, and uh, that was a great experience. Um, but then when I got back, I took my surgery rotation. I actually took it first because I wanted to get it out of the way. And I fell in love with surgery. Um, I thought I wasn't going to love surgery, and it was just something very, very powerful about, um, you know, that moment that a surgeon has with the, with the patient. It's a very special relationship, I think. Um, unlike many other relationships in medicine, the level of trust that a patient and a surgeon has um, that the patient um, allows you uh, to uh, essentially, you know, touch them and heal them um, you know, remove part of their body, you know, um, sew things together. I mean, think about the level of trust there. It's really mind-blowing. Yeah, because yeah, I've talked to others that you, you, they're putting their, their, all their faith in you because they're going to be unconscious, and when they're not going to know what's going to happen until they wake up, and they have to have complete trust and faith in you. 
Absolutely. I mean, I, I think uh, actually surgery is not too dissimilar to uh, psychiatry <laughs> um, because I think that um, those two specialties, uh, people really lay themselves bare. Yeah. And in surgery, it's, it's more physical where I literally meet a patient. Um, we have an interaction that's relatively brief and then they trust me so much that then they, we go to the operating room and they are laid bare and they allow me to enter their body and try to heal them. I mean, that is just truly mind-boggling, the level of trust. And I think similarly in psychiatry, it's a more psychological laying bare and letting someone enter into your psyche to help heal you in that manner. But I see a lot of parallels between those two things. And I think for surgery also, it's, it's a very kind of sentinel event um, in the sense that patients will text me, they will email me, they will send me cards and say, today was the day three years ago that you took out my pancreatic cancer. Today was the day five years ago that you took out my liver cancer. And so I think for patients, it's a, it's a very kind of specific event in their life, kind of like a wedding or a death or a birthday. And so the bond that a surgeon has with their patient can be very, very strong. Well, now that you say that, because I've had surgery at a fractured elbow and it wasn't cancer and I knew I wasn't going to, I was going to live, right. but can't, when you go under with cancer, that's like you said, that's life changing. And like you said, people talk about their cancerversary, their right. anniversary of that surgery or their Absolutely. diagnosis, because that's a life changing event that you're part of. And it sounds like from your end of it when someone puts their trust in you, you're going to come through for them. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best. Yeah. Right. You know, and, yeah. uh, I know we were going to touch on that, but I always say for me, it's not professional, it's personal. Um, and my family has been af- afflicted by cancer and, you know, my family, we have the BRCA gene, which is a gene oh. that predisposes people to certain types of cancer, like pancreas cancer, like breast cancer. So many of the people in my own family have died from, from cancer. And, um, you know, was never really recognized that, you know, we had this genetic predisposition until maybe about, you know, 10 years ago. Um, so like many of us, all of us have been touched by cancer. I think it's very important that, um, you know, when I see patients that we do a thorough uh, history um, to ascertain whether someone may be at a underlying genetic predisposition for cancer and that we um, um, offer them, not everyone chooses, but offer them genetic counseling and testing if appropriate, because that obviously can have implications not only for the patient in front of me, but also their, their siblings, their, their children, their, their relatives. Wow. So um, I'm always curious, surgery is something you're attracted to. What makes a good surgeon? What makes a great surgeon is, is being compassionate, being empathetic. Um, realizing that a lot of it is about the technical aspects of, of the operation, yet a lot of it's about like meeting people where they're at. Um, getting a cancer diagnosis can be um, scary. It can be ambiguous. It can be uncertain. Uh, people have questions. You know, people um, need um, and want and deserve a surgeon who is compassionate and caring and can listen and be there not only for the patient but for their uh, family. And that leads me to my third C, which is a good communicator. You know, I think, uh, you know, great surgeons are good communicators. And I always say that any surgeon should be able to explain to any patient the clinical situation. And if I'm not able to explain something to anyone 
that's on me. That's not on you. And so I think a good communicator through showing the scans, drawing pictures, analogies, whatever it may be, should be able to, in a very transparent way, share with the patient what's going on with their clinical situation, and then share with them the different therapeutic options and help them weigh the potential benefits and the potential risks so that we can kind of embark on a shared decision-making process together so that we arrive at a decision that aligns with your personal and familial goals of care. Yeah, I can tell by how comfortable you are doing this podcast that you're good at communicating with your patients. Well, I mean, I, I just think communication is yeah. so key. Yeah. Um, now, because I, that's what people remember. You know, yeah. people don't always necessarily remember what happens inside, right? You know, because during that six hours or five hours, we're doing all this stuff. Person's asleep, right? right? So, but when they wake up and, and you're interacting with them and you're communicating with them, that's their experience. That's what they remember, right? Yeah, and so that's why you want to be competent, but you have to be compassionate and you get to be able to communicate. Wow, and all these things came together in your, I think you have a quest to have the most different degrees of anyone here at the Jenks. You also have um, a fellowship in medical ethics and masters, like you said, in theology. And you already sort of touched on that, but how does that, again, play into communication and compassion and your craft? Yeah, so, um, you know, I always say the Jesuits always said to be lifelong learners, and I kind of took it oh, to heart, yeah. and then so... Um, I did go back to divinity school during actually my surgical training, and uh, which was somewhat unorthodox, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, you know, people uh, did not understand why a, a surgeon in training would want to go to the divinity school. But I did go to Harvard Divinity School. I got a master's in theology, and at that time I also um, obtained a, um, a fellowship in, in medical ethics. And again, I think it's, it's, it served me very well. And right now, even at the James, I, we were the beneficiaries of a Pelotonia grant. And I work with Dr. Liz Palmer, who's a clinical psychologist, and other um, individuals here at, at the James to really look at how spirituality, religion, mindfulness, whatever you may call it, this otherness, um, is important to some patients. Um, and their families during their cancer journeys. Um, you know, when you were diagnosed with cancer, when you were going through chemotherapy, when you were recovering from surgery or radiation therapy, you draw on many different things. You draw strength from many different areas. Um, and for some patients, not all, it may be spirituality, it may be religion, it may be mindfulness. So as a healthcare team and as care providers, how can we be aware of that and make sure that we are providing those types of resources to patients who believe that's important um, as part of their healthcare uh, journey? Um, and we have found that um, that has really helped a lot of patients as far as anxiety, yeah. depression, even things like decisional regret. Like I, I regret having made that decision. I regret not having made that decision. These are all things um, that are important as far as holistic care of the patient, you know, physical wellness and also mental wellness. And I think that's one of the strengths of the James is the holistic care that we bring to the cancer patient, that we're going to treat your cancer 
and, and we're also going to care for you. And I love the word. I say that we're care providers because I'm a surgeon, but I really am a care provider. And one way I deliver care is with a scalpel, <laughs> right? But there's other ways that hopefully yeah. I can deliver care and this other piece of spirituality, religion, wellness, mindfulness is part of what we hope to deliver as care providers. Okay. That, I think this will be a perfect time to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little more about your role as uh, chair of the Department of Surgery and Surgeon-in-Chief. That sounds great. Thanks, Steve. In today's world, misinformation abounds. But at the Ohio State Health and Discovery website, we're addressing today's most relevant health, wellness, science, and research topics, all from the Ohio State experts you can trust. We're tapping into physicians, scientists, and thought leaders across our medical center and health sciences colleges to give you the deeper story behind the headlines and the truth about the topics affecting the health of individuals, society, and the world. Visit health.osu.edu today. We're back with Tim Pollock, and Tim is the chair of the Department of Surgery and the surgeon chief of the James. And let's go behind the titles, and what do you do in these roles? And I'm assuming that a big part of your job is helping all the great surgeons here at the James do their best possible work. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. So, um, you know, I'm really lucky. Um, you know, I came here um, about seven years ago uh, to be chair of the Department of Surgery um, and then also surgeon chief of the James and the Wexner Medical Center. And I've loved it. I, I've, I've really so enjoyed being part of the James and Ohio State. Um, and it's really been a, a transformative journey um, over that time. Um, you know, we have been very purposeful in trying to build a number of our surgical oncology cancer, surgical cancer programs uh, in the Department of Surgery. And, you know, I think we've had some um, really great success. And I'll just share a few of them with you. Okay. Um, one is, you know, in, in liver and pancreas uh, surgery, you know, um, until maybe, you know, even 10 years ago, all those surgeries were done open uh, through large incisions, um, which um, it can be fairly difficult for patients to recover from a longer length of stay, longer time for them to patients to get back to normal activities, and then sometimes even resulting in delays to getting to their chemotherapy that they need. So one um, strategic initiative that we had, and I want to give credit to Dr. Mary Dillhoff, who's one of our uh, HBB surgeons, is that we uh, started a robotic um, Whipple program, robotic pancreatic surgery program. And this is a program where now we do many complex um, pancreatic resections and liver resections for cancer using a robot uh, through small incisions. Um, this operation um, has allowed many patients to recover more quickly, to leave the hospital more quickly, and then hopefully also get on to their needed chemotherapy more quickly. And really, over a course of, you know, five or six years, we went from doing no robotic surgery into this in this space to being one of the busiest robotic, minimally invasive um, pancreas and, and liver programs in the country. Wow. And, and again, yeah. I, I take none of the credit for this. This is 
you know, Dr. Dilhoff and Dr. Ejaz and Dr. Cloyd and our entire HPB um, group has really taken this and run with it, and I think it's been really exciting to see. Well, that's good timing because Mary Dilhoff's going to be coming in in about a week, and we're going to do a podcast on that exact topic. Well, that's so fantastic. You've done my background research for me. That's so great. I'm, I'm ready to talk to her. Yeah, and Excellent. we also have a very busy robotic uh, yeah. thoracic oncology program. In fact, we have the busiest robotic program. Uh, uh, thoracic chest can you know lung cancer program yeah. in the state under dr bob Merritt's leadership so that's been a real uh, focus of um you know, growing surgical programs in cancer we want to minimize the stress of the operation as much as possible and while all patients may not be candidates for minimally invasive surgery or a robotic surgery there are many patients who will be candidates and um you know, as I mentioned, I'm really proud that we've been able to build that program at the James, and and the James now is really one of the premier institutes in in the country offering uh, complex surgery through minimally invasive robotic approaches. Yeah, and and the different surgeons we've had from the different types of cancer, that is a trend that they're all talking about and doing is that concept of minimally invasive and robotic. And it's it, you mentioned a couple different types of cancer, but it and also it's spreading across the board. Absolutely. And I think a couple other programs I'd like to highlight is, um, you know, under Dr. Alex Kim's leadership, we've really grown um, our um, peritoneal cancer program and our um, arterial infusion program. And what these are is some patients actually have cancer that's kind of spread throughout their abdomen. And um, that can be a very challenging situation. And there's a very specific operation that requires um, considerable expertise to remove the cancer throughout the abdomen and then administer chemotherapy directly into the abdomen. So not through an IV, which is the traditional way, but directly into the abdomen. And so um, that program has grown, you know, two, threefold over the last several years because of Dr. Kim. And now many patients, not only from Columbus and Ohio, but even, you know, regionally are coming to the James to um, get this, um, get this uh, surgical treatment and this chemotherapy. And then Dr. Kim also has um, really led the way for um, our pump program. And what that is, is unlike um, putting the chemotherapy actually into the abdomen or in an IV, we actually, for patients who have a lot of cancer in their liver, sometimes will place a pump, it's almost like, looks like a hockey puck, underneath their skin, and then load that with chemotherapy. And then there's a small catheter that leaves that hockey puck, and we place it, this catheter directly into the artery feeding the liver. So we can deliver high-dose chemotherapy directly to the liver, and so this allows us to give higher doses of chemotherapy to the liver while minimizing systemic side, yeah, uh, side, effects. side effects. Wow. And so, um, you know, this is just another uh, tool in our armamentarium here at the James uh, to treat various patients, uh, some of whom who have um, a large burden of cancer uh, in their liver. Um, this may be a therapy that's applicable to them. It sounds like, in talking to you, and Alex Kim was also a guest on the podcast, that surgeries become more innovative and more technical with all these engineering advances that are allowing you to do more than just 
in the like 20, 30 years ago, do a large incision and remove whatever you can. It's become so much more of a craft and skillful and targeted. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And so um, another great example, it's a perfect lead in, is just um, this past week, we were the first center in all of Ohio to do um, radio frequency ablation of thyroid nodules. So, you know, in the past, if someone had a thyroid nodule, you'd have to make an incision and, you know, operate, put the patient to sleep and, and remove part of the thyroid. Now here at Ohio State, we're able to, under ultrasound guidance, place a probe percutaneously through the skin, and then this probe is hooked up to a generator that basically generates energy and heat and then destroys the nodule using this heat in a very precise manner. So again, I think it goes to your point that, you know, there's been a number of innovations, kind of engineering, technical innovations um, that have given us more tools in surgery um, to treat our patients and hopefully less and less invasive ways to minimize the morbidity or the impact of surgery so patients can go on to either get their chemotherapy or go on to resume their normal life as much as possible. Yeah, is there any other ones you'd like to mention? Well, I think um, what I'd like to mention is that with cancer, I always tell patients it's a complex problem. And it's going yes. to require a complex solution and also a, a, a very skilled team. And so the surgeon is a very important member of that team. Yet it is important that when seeking cancer care, in my opinion, that people think about a comprehensive cancer center like the James because... For many cancers, it will require not only a cancer surgeon, but a medical oncologist, perhaps a radiation yeah. oncologist, our nurse practitioners, our physician assistants, nutritionists, dietitians, you know, pastoral care. It's really a 360 approach to cancer so that we can bring everything to bear, you know, precision medicine, molecularly profiling your tumor right? Trying to figure out that what specific therapy is going to be right for you, not necessarily right for everyone who has this cancer, but right for you. So I, I think that, you know, that emphasis on a team approach in trying to seek care at a place that has excellence across the board is really one of my, my passions around, um, you know, uh, people getting to the right place with the right people, hopefully it will lead to the right outcome. At the James, like we're thinking about cancer 24-7, yeah. right? I'm not, <laughs> you know, other things are important, but we're thinking about cancer 24-7, right? So if you have cancer, you want to go to a place that is thinking about cancer 24-7, right? And so that, that's, what I, that's what I'm talking about, is that when you, you get that type of specialized care, um, I think that... Um, you know, that the plan that is put together um, has a greater chance of, um, of achieving success, whatever success may be, prolonging your life, freeing you of your pain, curing your cancer, um, things like that. So let's end by going back to when you were at Georgetown and you were thinking of this concept and idea of combining uh, medicine, science, and spirituality and, and connections with patients. And now 
I don't know, were we 20 years past that or however many uh, years? Maybe longer, Steve, okay. maybe longer. <laughs> um, is this what you envisioned? Are, are, have you, are you doing what you thought you'd be doing? And, and where do you, and, and what's, has been the rewards from doing or getting close to doing it? Yeah, so the rewards of the patient. If you come to my office, you're going to see pictures of me and my patients. I was just telling the residents yesterday about a patient I operated on 15 years ago, you know, who had a very bad problem. And um, I operated on her about 15 years ago, and her husband just called me a couple months ago, and she passed away from another reason. But, uh, you know, have someone who came to me 15 years ago who thought they had weeks or months to live and then you know i'm not saying it happens for everyone but then i was able to operate and she had 15 wonderful years i had a great relationship with her her husband and then the you know that bond he reached out to me we talked about her great memories you know when someone you know sends me a card someone sent me a card and it it was um, a patient walking his daughter down the aisle wow there you go so it sounds right. like you were able to combine all the things yeah. you wanted so to. Yeah, that, so that's what it's about, right? That's what it's about. It's about this personal journey. You know, life is hard. We're all in this together. And it's the, it's the personal piece and the scientific piece. I always get choked up because, like I said, yeah. it's not professional. It's personal. And just really wanting to help people, you know. That, and, and so, yeah, that's, that's the most rewarding thing. There's a lot of the grief that we got to deal with as surgeons and, and leaders. But the purest thing is being with a patient. And that's another thing I've noticed, that even as people rise up and have more and more administrative duties, that the connection with your patients is still, you you make sure to do that, and that's still the most rewarding aspect of the job. That's our true north. Yep. You know, and, and it, when things are never difficult, if you just think, what is best for the patient? What is best for the patient? There you go. Right, that's the true north. And so then a lot of things melt away when you kind of, reorient yourself to that you know and so absolutely that's that's the best part and uh is being with the patients and 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 their families developing these relationships well thank you for sharing your your story and your passion and and some of the new technology and surgical techniques going on here at the james thank you steve i really appreciate the opportunity and you know, like I said, I love Ohio State and I love being a Buckeye, so go Bucks. Okay, from Ohio to a Buckeye. <laughs> there you go. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.